Romans chapter 14, reading verses 15 and 16. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. This is the word of the Lord. So, as we look into this passage this morning, um, we've been talking about how to disagree in, in Romans uh, 14 and then a little bit into 15. He's talking about when, when there's disagreements within the church, how to handle that. And this morning we want to talk, we, we've talked about three subjects so far. This morning we want to talk about encouragement. Um, and, and when we have those disagreements within the church, um, and, and every church has those different points. There's been times in the history of this church where, where, you know, there, there's been contention within the church and, and factions and disagreement. We're fortunate, as I said before, the first sermon in this series, you know, this is a good time to preach a sermon now because, you know, we are unified and, and we're a loving church family. And so that's the time to, to preach this message is when you're in that situation. But as we think about that, there's a step beyond just not fighting. And that is, the step beyond that is to be a church that encourages each other and that lifts each other up and and doesn't just not do the negative, but is a church that is really encouraging. Um, whenever I, I think about the subject of encouragement, the, the person that always comes to my mind is, um, is Mary Elizabeth Griffith. Um, I think she is the most consistently encouraging person I've ever met in my life. I've never heard her say anything negative about anybody. And whenever somebody's brought up, she always has something positive to say about that person. And um, and I want to be more like her. I want to be somebody that is encouraging to folks. And so in the passage this morning, what we're going to look at, the verses we're going to look at, first we're going to start with some danger signs, because sometimes we don't necessarily think, well, I'm I'm not that way. So we want to talk about some of the three of the danger signs that maybe we're a little bit too on the discouragement side. And then we want to go over and look at a couple of the passages that help us to to specifically understand what God is looking for as we are called to be um, encouraging within the church. So uh, let's start. Uh, We're going to start with verses 13 and 15. And we're going to talk about these three danger signs uh, as we get starting, as we get started. The first question we want to ask to kind of diagnose the problem is, am I tripping up my brother or sister in Christ? Am I tripping up my brother or sister in Christ? So uh, as we're going to look into the passage in just a second. So, um, you know, kids on a playground, you know, you have somebody running along and another kid kind of sticks his foot out behind him and trips the kid up. And we would all agree as you look at that, man, that's just, that's mean. You shouldn't act that way. And yet a lot of times, as this passage alludes to, there are ways that we trip up a, a brother or sister in Christ when they're trying to make spiritual progress and, and we do something that causes them to not be able to, to get uh, further up, the, um, further up the, the path. As you look at the second half of verse 13, hop back up to verse 13 with me. It says, Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So when we think about a brother and sister in Christ, we are to try to avoid in what we do putting a stumbling block in their way where they might come along and 
you know, like a, a, a rock sticking out on a path and you don't see it because it's dark or something, and then you trip up on that. We need to, as, as brothers and sisters, as part of, the, of a loving church family, we need to make sure that we're not doing things that are going to cause a brother and sister in Christ to get tripped up. Well, what are some examples of something that may be? Let me give you a, a few examples. Um, with regard to, again, we're in the subject of disputable matters and where we sometimes argue as Christians. Um, some potential examples. Let's say there's a brand new believer and you're talking about something and, and because they're a new believer, they don't really understand the Bible that well and and they say something that isn't 100% there and you mock them. You're like, no, 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 let me explain it to you. And the, the, the tone of condescension that you have toward them just really discourages them and, and they think, well, you know, I, I know so little about the Bible and he knows so much, I'm just going to quit trying. And the way that we treated that person causes them to stumble because they were walking along trying to understand the Bible, trying to read it a little bit, and then in the way we were condescending toward them, we put a stumbling block in the way and they tripped up and they were like, forget it, I'm not going to try to read the Bible anymore. We tripped up a brother or sister in Christ. Let's say there's somebody who's been a Christian for a little while and um, and they share an opinion that um, that, you know, there are some Christians that believe that, but we believe another way, and we are just vociferous with our response and say, you know, this is the way I think it is, and, and we're really strong in the way that we respond. And, and they just kind of feel like, well, you know, if, if I'm going to be treated like that, I'm not sure I want to be a part of a church body that acts like that. And so they quit, um, they quit coming to church. Let's, um, let's say there's, you're in the workplace, and you and another believer are arguing, and uh, somebody who is just getting started in their faith, looks at that and says, you know, man, if, if this is the way that, that we treat each other in the church, I'm not sure that I want to be a part of, um, of the way that we do that. In each of those cases, we're tripping somebody up. The question we need to ask when it comes to these kind of situations is less, when we think of the other believer, is less, am I right? And more, is he all right? We need to be concerned about that other believer. And if we act in a way that causes that person to be tripped up and we see them on the ground and it's our fault, we need to be concerned about that because we're the ones that trip them up. We need to be less about putting out stumbling blocks and more about putting out stepping stones so that they can move higher in their faith. There's, a, there's an old movie from, gosh, long time ago um, called Eight Men Out. It's about the... Um, the White Sox or the Black Sox scandal from um, 1919, I think it was, when there was a World Series that was fixed by the Chicago White Sox. Um, several, there were some gamblers that bought off several members of the uh, of the um, of the White Sox, and they threw a World Series. And there's a scene where Shoeless Joe Jackson's kind of the biggest star on the team, and he got paid off too. And and at first he feels really bad, but then he's kind of starting to feel better about, you know, he. He, he cooperates with the authorities and, and he's kind of starting to feel better about the, the fact that, you know, he's trying to do what's right after he had done what's wrong. And there's this scene where he comes walking out. He's just met with some lawyers and he has shared what's right and he's kind of feeling better about things. And he walks out and there's all these people, these reporters are all asking him questions about everything. And, uh, you know, what did you know? And how much did you get? And all that kind of stuff. And, and as he's walking away, there's this one little boy whose voice cries out among all the rest. 
And the little boy says, say it ain't so, Joe. Say it ain't so. And the moment is so poignant because um, that little boy looked up to him. That little boy admired him. And he failed in the trust that that little boy had put in him. And when we've been believers for a while, and there's a new believer that comes along, and they're looking up to us, and we are mean in our response, or we're not encouraging to them, or we trip them up, there was a trust they put in us, wasn't there? There, there, was, um, there was a commitment that they made to Christ that we were supposed to encourage. And as you look at 13, where it says there, make up your mind to not put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister in Christ. It actually goes a little bit uh, farther. In ver- Look down at verse 15, in the second half of verse 15. It says, do not buy your eating, and the eating here is a reference, we've talked about this in weeks past, so eating, it, there, there was meat sacrificed to idols back then, and there were some that thought that was okay to eat and some that didn't. So when he's referring to eating, he's not just referring to anything that we eat, but he's referring to that, that disputable issue of should you eat meat sacrificed to idols or not. But look in 15, it says, Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. And the word there, like, you know, up in, up in 13, it's a stumbling block. And that's, you know, that's a bad thing to think of somebody stumbling and then maybe they get back up and continue on. But the word in 15 is stronger there. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. What does that mean? Every single one of us here this morning, we could go around the room and name names. Every single one of us here this morning knows somebody who used to go to church who doesn't anymore because of what another brother or sister did. Now, sometimes it's it's an abuse situation or something like that. That's not really not what we're talking about this morning. But in many cases, it's because they've been treated bad by their brother and sister in Christ. And when you think of somebody who was walking along in faith and then they've walked away and they don't come to church anymore and they're not growing at all anymore, look at what 15 says there. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Can you imagine standing before God someday and as we stand before Him, we say, hey, I won that argument. And and God says back to us, yeah, and all it costs was that person walking with Christ for another 30 years. We need to understand the seriousness of, of what we're called to do. And when we don't do it, when we trip people up instead, we oftentimes see people who walk away from the faith or walk away from church, and they don't come back for decades. And so we need to be aware of the dangers of us acting in ways that we shouldn't here. I've told you guys before in the past, that the church I pastored before God called us here was a church plant, and it was focused on people who had given up on church. And as we were talking to folks ahead of time, I really expected there to be a lot of people who would be resentful of us starting a new church. We already have enough churches. And instead, what I heard over and over again was when I would talk to people who were a part of churches, and I would talk to them, I'd say, we're starting a new church for people who had had given up on church and weren't going anywhere. And again and again and again and again, the story I got back was, 
You know, my brother used to go to church, but then this happened and he doesn't go anymore. You know, my, my son used to go to church, but then this happened and he doesn't go anymore. This is a big issue. Because there are a lot of people who used to go, but then got pushed out. Not because they don't believe in God anymore, not because they don't believe in Jesus anymore, but because of the way brothers or sisters in Christ treated them. And so 13 and 15 is a warning to us. Don't put a stumbling block because, 15, you might end up destroying the faith of somebody who was walking with Christ. So that's the first danger sign this morning. The second one is in verse 15 also. The, first, the second danger sign is, if I'm distressing my brother or sister in Christ, am I acting in love? If I'm distressing my brother or sister in Christ, am I acting in love? So we're going to make this a little bit more difficult than what we just said. Look at, um, look at the beginning of verse 15. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Now let's note again that the what you eat thing is a reference to the meat sacrificed to idols. That's what he's talking about. But notice that we've made the standard a little bit more difficult here. If you, if you I'm sorry, if your brother or sister is distressed. So what we were talking about earlier, you know, maybe we tripped somebody up, we don't know for sure, maybe they're going to come back in two weeks, maybe they're not. That's all stuff that is in the future, and we may not be sure how that's going to end up. This is a situation, what verse 15 tells us, the beginning of that, is something that is very immediately, very immediate. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, in that situation, as I'm talking to that person, can I see that they're bothered by what I'm saying? Can I see I'm making them uncomfortable? Can I see I'm, I'm pushing their buttons or pushing them away in some way? Because if I can, and if I see that, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. What I say can cause somebody to be distressed. Now the problem is there are, there are certain people in church that kind of act like... the and a lot of times it's leaders in the church. And, and there are people who are like, listen, I'm just honest, and I just say what's true, and if they can't handle it, that's too bad. I'm, I'm just speaking the truth. And they'll go around distressing people all the time and acting like, well, you know, it's their fault for, for not being able to respond right to it. Well, it says there that we're not acting in love. If we want to be people who are acting in love and taking care of each other, we need to make sure that we are doing what God is calling us to do here. I read a story years ago of um, in Australia. Was it Australia? I don't know. Um, where are there Tasmanian devils? Wherever there are Tasmanian devils. I'm not good with geography. There were Tasmanian devils, and a ton of them had died from, they thought initially it was a virus, but it turned out as they got into it um, that it was actually a, a rare type of cancer. And what they found was in, in the behavior of Tasmanian devils, they oftentimes they will kind of go at food together, uh, with their mouths like right there side by side. And as they were um, biopsying this cancer that, that was causing all these Tasmanian devils to die, they realized it, was all, it wasn't mutations. It was all coming back exactly the same. And so what they realized was this wasn't something that happened over a long period of time, but rather because they were going at this food together, the, the cancer was being transferred by mouth. As they were biting at the same food, they would sometimes bite each other accidentally. And the cancer was being transferred by mouth. There's a lot of churches like that, isn't there? 
where because we bite at each other and we yell at each other and we fuss at each other and we and we talk about each other behind each other's back, as verse um, as verse fifteen says there, we are not acting in love. Now, again, to go back to something we said earlier in the sermon series, this is not to say that we don't have opinions on these issues. It's not to say that we don't think about what the Bible says. But remember, in the very first sermon, we said what what this passage instructs us is when we have those thoughts. We are to keep them to ourselves. Be fully convinced in your own mind, remember? And if you want to talk to somebody about it, talk to God about it. We're not to be out here arguing with each other and fussing with each other, but instead we are called, don't distress each other, because then you're not acting in love. Third thing, verse 16. In verse 16, the, the third question is this. Do outsiders see the damage I've caused? Do outsiders see the damage I've caused? As you look at 16, it's, this is kind of a hard verse to understand, so let me, let me read it and then I'll explain it. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. What does that mean? Okay, so let me unpack it in two parts. So there are things that I believe are good. I believe that Jesus Christ is good. I believe that the Bible is good. I believe that the resurrection is good. I believe all those things are a part of what God has given to me, and, and we understand that all those things are good things. Amen? And so we understand those things are good. But, let's go back over to this. I have all those things that are good, but if I'm talking about them in a way that is antagonistic, or I'm talking about them in a way that is mean, so that as I talk about them, the person doesn't walk away thinking that those things are good, but instead the person walks away thinking that, you know, man, I was mean to that person, or, or I, I, I was really arrogant and full of myself, or I just seem to really like to argue. Then what happens is those things that are good, that person doesn't wait, go away thinking, man, isn't Jesus good, or isn't the Bible good, or isn't the resurrection good? But instead, because of the way I talk about them, or because of the way that we argue with each other, they walk away not thinking those things are good, but instead thinking those things must be bad because of the way that we've handled them. So look at that verse again in light of what I just said. Let's talk about that. So 16 says, Therefore, so it's going back to what we just read in 15 about acting in love and about not destroying each other. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. So, I believe that Jesus Christ is good. I don't want that to be spoken of as evil because of the way that I act. I believe that the resurrection is good. I don't want that to be spoken of as bad because of the way that I act and the way that I speak. And so, the, the point there is, there are oftentimes outsiders who will look at us people who aren't Christians, and the way that we, it's not so much what we're saying in terms of the truth, but it's the way that we say it. It's, it's the way that we treat each other. That they look at that and they're like, I'm, I don't want any part of it. Why would I want to, why do I want to go to church? It's the way that we act with each other. Um, there should be nowhere on earth that people are loved more than in a church. There should be nowhere on earth that we treat each other better than in the church. 
And yet so often we allow ourselves to get over into these bickerings and these fights over these disputable matters, these secondary issues, and we get contentious over, you know, the classic church example. You know, I want red carpet. No, I want blue carpet. And then we go at each other. And, and, and the, the problem there isn't just what happens inside the church, although that is a problem. But the problem is if I have a, 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 a Christian or if I have a coworker who's not a Christian and they hear that Madison Baptist was arguing over whether we're going to have red carpet, whether we're going to have blue carpet, that causes that which is good, Jesus Christ, to be spoken of as evil. Because they look at it and go, I, I don't know what this Jesus stuff is, but it must not make any difference because look at the way they're treating each other. And so we need to understand that not only does it hurt us and hurt those around us in the church, but it also damages the reputation of Christ. So, having understood those danger signs, now let's shift in the second half of the sermon. Let's talk about what it looks like, according to what Paul is writing here, for us to be more encouraging and for us to, uh, for us to lift each other up. We're going to go down to chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. The first point is this. Being spiritually strong means protecting, not demanding. Being spiritually strong means protecting, not demanding. So, let's go back to that example for a second. I want to read verses 1 and 2 here in just a second. Let's go back to the example I said a moment ago of the maybe he's a preacher and he's always demanding his way. Maybe he's a deacon and he's always demanding his way. And, and he acts like, because I'm the mature Christian and because I've been around a long time, everybody needs to do what I say. And the definition of somebody who is that strong Christian is somebody who demands what they want and they get it because I'm the one in charge. Look at what 15, 1 and 2 says about what maturity looks like. It could not be further away from that caricature that I just gave. 15, 1 and 2. We who are strong, speaking of spiritually strong, speaking of the mature believer, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. So what it's saying here is that the, the mature believer is not the one that goes around saying, I want my way and everybody needs to do it my way, but they're the ones that are the quickest to, watch this, to protect the other believers, especially the newer believers. We're not, if we're going to be the mature ones, we're not the ones always demanding that we get what we want, but we're the ones that are looking and saying, we want to make sure that those that are newer in the faith don't get tripped up and don't get sidelined. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. But Jim, they don't know that much. But Jim, what they're saying isn't that, you know, is, 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 I've got a better idea than them. We're to bear, they're the weak. We are to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Can you imagine? And um, I've been fortunate down through the years. I have, um, in almost 30 years of ministry, I've never had, I've never had to preside over or be part of uh, a church business meeting where people were screaming at each other um, and where people were yelling at each other. I've been fortunate to have churches that have been peaceful the whole time, and I'm very thankful for that. But. Um, Let's just to use a silly example. Let's use the red versus blue carpet. And let's say we're coming into a business meeting and, and, you know, we've got this group over here. You know, we've always had red carpet. We want red carpet. And this other group, 
we're tired of red carpet, we want to have blue carpet, and everybody comes in, and they're ready for a fight. And each group thinks that they're right. Can you imagine if the preacher stood up and said, okay, now before we start, I want to read a verse. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So everybody here tonight who's going to demand their way, I want you to first of all admit that you're spiritually weak. Um, the vote would switch from red versus blue carpet to firing the pastor. Because everybody would be in favor of firing the pastor after he said that. And yet, that's the definition that we're told there. And so we need to look around and ask whether or not we are willing to, to be concerned about those and put others in front, of, in front of ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbor for their good to build them up. Now again, I need to say this is really important. Going back to um, an issue we talked about in week one. This is disputable matters here. So we're talking about a secondary matter. We're not talking about if somebody comes to you and says, you know, like if somebody would come to me, an example, if somebody would come to me who's a new believer and say, listen, Jim, you, you talked about hell in that sermon this morning. I, I really, I don't like that. I wish you wouldn't talk about that anymore. And I say, why? And they say, well, you know, my, my dad died 20 years ago and he never went to church and I believe in Christ, but, but like it scares me the thought that I don't know that he ever knew who Christ was. And so it bothers me that the thought that he might have been lost. And so I just prefer that you never preach about hell again. Now, my answer there has to be no. Why? Because that's a core doctrine of what we believe. And so we're talking here about disputable matters. We're not talking about just throwing everything out and saying, well, that, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe, just believe whatever. But on these secondary issues, when we come into, when we come into church and what songs that we sing, that's a secondary issue. When we, um, when we think about the issues in church that are not the core of the faith, we're called in this verse to encourage each other and to protect each other and to be there to make sure that the other person doesn't get tripped up. Now, look down with me. Last point I want to make, and this is going to uh, this will take a minute. Look down with me at verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 and 6, still in chapter 15, say, there's a lot in this verse. We're going to, have to take a minute to unpack it. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may, be glor you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The last point this morning is this. Our goal is a unified family honoring God. Our goal is a unified family honoring God. So let's unpack this verse for just these two verses for just a second because they give us this picture of what God is trying to do. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement. So let's pause there for a second. Why do you need endurance? Because sometimes people are hard to deal with. Because sometimes people are annoying. Because sometimes people are difficult. And so God gives us endurance to continue through. And encouragement, because we need that encouragement along the way, give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had. Christ came with humility concerning and wanting to take care of the other person. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to have one mind and one voice all calling out to God the Father. The desire of Jesus Christ is not that His church would spend all their time fussing and arguing with each other and all their time yelling at each other about, well, maybe this is right and maybe that is right. 
He desires that all of our voices would be united to all glorify God the Father. That we would all be lifting up God the Father. In fact, if you go back to the Gospel of John, we see there Jesus in His final prayer before He's going to go to the garden and go to the cross, Jesus prays that we all might be one. He prays for the unity of the church because He says that's going to be an incredible uh, uh, witness to the world if we are all one and treat each other with that love. And so as we have that love for each other and as we treat each other that way, it's going to cause the witness of the church to be exponentially stronger. Look back at 14, verse 19. Chapter 14, verse 19. Let us therefore, and of course the therefore always points us back to what it said before, and we were just reading in 14, 15, and 16 about uh, treating each other in the way that we should. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Peace means peace within the church body and us loving each other, and mutual edification means us lifting each other up and each person being encouraged and pointed in the direction that they should go. What leads to peace and mutual edification. One of the most powerful witnesses that we have is not um, our ability to argue well about you know creation or about Jesus being the Christ. One of the most powerful witnesses that we have is that we love each other really well. Is that we treat each other really well. And one of the things that requires is in that moment when I'm tempted to get into an argument, because I know a lot about this subject and I want to argue with that person, instead, I think less about the argument and more about lifting that person up and wanting to make sure that that person isn't tripped up, making sure that that person can continue on in the faith and continue to grow closer to Christ. We are called not to argue with each other. We are called to lift each other up. We are called to be less worried about, am I right? And more about, is He all right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we bow before You this morning, Father, we we confess that we're all self-centered. It's just human nature to be thinking about us all the time. Father, we confess this morning we like being right. We like proving we're right. We like arguing. And yet, Father, we are called here to put ourselves second. To encourage each other, to lift each other up, to, to be more concerned about the other person than myself. Father, help us to live this out. Help us, Father, to want to be encouraging to those around us, especially those who are newer in the faith. Father, I pray in Jesus' name.